sit back and relax because it is time for Game Breakers. Guys, welcome to Game Breakers. Your host, Edwin, back again on a, what is it? What's today? What's today? Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> I'm over here forgetting the days. Guys, it feels good to be back for the second episode, the second episode of the new year. First week still kicking off strong and doing our things. Guys, I hope from Monday, or at least from Sunday morning, from Sunday morning up until now, you have been putting your plans in motion, getting everything involved and everyone involved into what you want to do for your life to be prosperous, and to be successful. But anyways, forget all about that because obviously we came here to talk about some damn sports. So let's get straight into it. And of course, we have to get into the Week 17 recap. NFL Week 17 recap. We have just one more week after this before the season ends and we are doing no more regular season games. It's going to be playoff mode from that point on. But it has been a long time coming, man. And I must say, damn, it's been so many games to talk about. Sheesh. I mean, I get it. I like doing my research. I like talking about these games and getting in the details and nitty-gritty of things of what happened beforehand and what I thought happened based off my predictions and whatnot. But it can be tiring to go through every single game, look at the footage. I mean, look at what people are saying about these games. Look at stats. Look at what happened in the game itself. It's just too much. But either way, though, that's what comes. That's the price you have to pay for being a sports analyst. So anyways, let's get into it because obviously we have a lot to dive into. So starting off with not my Jets this time, but the Cardinals and Falcons, two bird teams, two teams that have been sucky this season the entire way, obviously, and two teams that really had nothing to play for except for pride. But anyways, uh, two main focal points from this game that I saw. Quarterbacks. As in two players, David Blau and Desmond Ritter. David Blau actually didn't play that bad. To me, he was he was okay. Like he didn't make any bad throws to me. I thought he did all right with taking care of the football for the most part. And Desmond Ritter, you guys know how I feel about that Desmond Ritter. This guy, even though he's a rookie, I think he can still develop into a guy that can add a different kind of element to the passing game for this Falcons unit. And so far. Through each game, I've seen some more flashes of him going, you know, I think he could actually make those kind of throws consistently in the NFL and be a problem. And obviously, he's an athlete, he's mobile, and he can make plays out of the pocket. So I saw a lot of that this game. And when you have a team that is committed to running the football, obviously, Algier, the rookie who has been playing phenomenal this season, you still have Cordell Patterson, who had a couple of big runs, a couple of big catches in this game as well, too. Now... We're starting to think about some weapons for this Falcons team that can maybe carry on into next season. And you already have a stud uh, wide receiver and Drake London. Okay. I'm not sure how you guys feel about Zacchaeus, but he's okay. So maybe you get some more talent on the outside. Maybe you get Kyle Pitts involved next season. And this team all of a sudden could have some, some players that can pose some problems against you. So you never know. But for the Cardinals sake, um, obviously, you lost Kyler Murray and there were reports today about him undergoing some successful surgery and that's good that's a that's a nice thing to have in the future for him to come back healthier right but from this game it turned into touchdown a nice touchdown by Trey McBride to get in wide open touchdown it turned into that and then went to field goals just straight up field goals two teams exchanging field goals it wasn't really as expecting to be a high scoring Nice affair to watch for that instance. But, I mean, if you're a Falcons fan, if you're a Cardinals fan, I guess so, right? <laughs> like, you know, you guess I guess you got you to gotta watch your team play. Whatever. So be it. Um, but aside from that, there was not really big things to watch from this game. Obviously, maybe some big plays result in the, the block punt um, by the Falcons unit, which gave them a touchdown, a short field to get a touchdown. Uh, and we have a turnover on downs that really wasn't the best play call for me at all, if we're being honest with you. Um, but it is what it is. I think that on that play right there, um, what's this guy's name? Desmond Ritter had our wide open Zacchaeus. And since he's a rookie, these are things that he's going to have to realize and try to understand as the game gets going, as he continues to develop and have the game slow down for him. You know, on that motion play, and I know it's not a big play, 
Um, it's a Falcons and Cardinals, not a big game itself, but you know, nitty gritty things, right? On that play, we had a motion to Zacchaeus. He motions it across the field, and on fourth down, he should be wide open. He is wide open, and I'm not sure what Ritter is looking at, but he doesn't see him, and he, he throws the ball into the end zone, and it's incomplete. But those nitty-gritty plays are what he has to be able to analyze and hit in the future for him to keep on developing into a QB that they would hope to, obviously, if they believe in him at least in that aspect. But – yeah, nothing to go about this game. The, the Falcons win on the last second field goal by Youngway. Cool. All right, moving on. Bears and Lions. So, you know there's always that Justin Field element. Always that Justin Field element of how close will he make the game. You know the, the Bears are going to lose this game. They're going to lose this game, probably in either a close fashion or a dominating fashion. But up until how long will Justin Fields make this game close enough? Or maybe how many players can he make for this game to get interesting. In the first quarter, it was pretty interesting. This guy had 104 rushing yards in the first quarter. I mean, I I, I kind of called that, to be honest, because if you look at last week's performance from the Lions' standpoint against the Panthers, you saw this team had nobody, nobody blocking in the, the gaps, filling in gaps. The linebackers came up way too late, and that led to big plays for the Panthers' running game. That led to guys not being touched until about gaining 10 yards downfield. It was terrible. It was atrocious. So Justin Fields was going to have a field day against them, no pun intended. Um, but you look at the entire game itself, and <laughs> aside from Justin Fields, not really much of a traditional running game. I mean, Khalil Herbert, 31 yards. David Montgomery, 24 yards. Wasn't really anything going. But I guess you can attribute that to them being down by double digits so early on. The game was, what, 10-14 to 14 at one point. It got out of hand quickly. The Lions did three things well. Ran the football well, they passed the football well, and they sacked Justin Fields for about, what, five, seven times that game itself. We cannot forget that despite the great plays that Justin Fields makes, most of those plays, or about half of those plays, are because of how poor the offensive line is for that Bears unit. Cannot forget, they are terrible, terrible at pass protection, terrible. So, of course, Alliance team that has, for the most part of the season, has been dominating in that, that aspect of the game, of course you can expect them to come over here and feast against a poor Lions unit, even if they don't have the best pass rush on the market, you know? And on top of that, the whole entire Bears defense sucks. It still sucks. I know there was like one or two weeks where I felt as though this team, as young as it was and as young as it may be at that time, they're putting things together and they're looking a little bit more competent, but it still sucks. It still sucks. So, yes, Jared Goff and Cole just sat back there and picked apart the whole entire secondary. And DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, eight on the ground, eight on the ground in dominating fashion. You know, it really had nothing to go from in, in terms of the perspective of the Bears offense, aside from the big runs from Justin Fields, there was nothing downfield for them. They had no avenue to throw, you know, and once you get back behind and the game turns into a shootout, right now, that's not Justin Fields' game. That's not the Bears' game. They want to run the football, and they can't run the football as effective as they want to if they're down by 14, 21 points. So, yeah, no. Lions win in dominating fashion, 41-10. to 10. Let's move on. Jets and Seahawks, guys. I spoke about this on, on my TikTok, but to me, and you guys should go follow that TikTok, by the way. But anyways, I don't understand how this happens. Like, I really don't. You guys can say I'm biased. So be it. I don't care, right? But from the Bills game onward, I felt as if we were better than every team going into those matchups. The Detroit Lions, Jacksonville Jaguars, Seattle Seahawks. One reason only is because... Well, actually, two reasons only. It's because I felt as if my defense was good enough to stop these offenses that were supposedly hot, right? Lions were coming in hot into that week. They dropped only 17 points. Jacksonville Jaguars, 19 points, you know? And then the Seahawks. Yes, they, they kind of blew us out in this game too as well, but that's just the defense giving up big plays now. Now I'm losing that narrative of the defense carrying us in big games, and now they're becoming like an average middle-of-the-pack defense now because of the way they performed. I'm not going to lie. But going into those matchups, I had big reason and big hope and faith, actually, to believe 
that my team would pull out victories against these teams. But Mike White got injured, and Zach Wilson missed a couple of throws. We couldn't run the football. There were some questionable coaching decisions made in some of these games that cost us a football game, and that all related to us losing. Defense underperformed. Special teams picked another great three weeks to perform badly. It was terrible. It was terrible. But moving on into this game itself, um, we had the football guys bless our team again. Once again, the Lions, not, not the Lions, the, the Dolphins lost their four games, four straight. Patriots lost four straight or three straight, whatever. Point is, is that we had a chance. And I was so happy that Mike White was coming back. And this team is, or at least this Seahawks defense is not as dominating as they are or as they were on Sunday. I get it. If we don't run the football as well as we are supposed to against this Seahawks unit, then yes, things become a, a bit dicey because obviously you have Tariq Willem back there, Kobe Bryant, Malik Jackson back there. Those guys, as young as they may be, have been playing good this season. So yes, it wouldn't be an easy task to drop back 40 times and throw against those guys if we couldn't run the football. But never forget, guys, this team is not that good on defense. It's not that good. Don't forget, the Panthers put up 24 points, what, 30 points on them last week, two weeks ago. Don't forget that the Raiders came into town and put up 40 on these guys. Okay? <laughs> like, come on now. Come on. Don't forget. Don't forget that. Seriously. And then you look at the whole entire unit. Um, I just cannot believe what happened. Seriously, I cannot believe it. Mike White played bad. He looked like Zach Wilson out there at some moments because he missed open throws. We had no answer for Geno Smith and Co. I mean, on the first drive, three plays 71 yards on the first drive? That's embarrassing. I know that we're not the greatest at stopping the run, but to give Kenneth Walker that big run was criminal. Criminal. And on top of that, where was the pressure? This is a Seahawks offensive line that is not great at all. Actually, pretty poor, pretty bad at pass protection. Where was the pressure? I don't understand that at all. I don't understand that for the life of me, guys. Where was the pressure? This has been a team all season long that we don't have to blitz to get pressure. But yet, we couldn't get, what, at least three sacks against this team? What? <laughs> what? Actually, no, we got four sacks, but still, it wasn't enough for me. Those like, to me, cover sacks. What am I talking about here? Those like cover sacks. It wasn't enough. Enough pressure. I think that, you know, Smith had enough time, even though he took four sacks, had enough time for the most part to just sit back there and carve us apart. And th that's shameful. Shameful. So, to me, it's sad. This, this was the biggest game in seven years, ten years, actually, because we have never been relevant up until this point in a long time. We have never been relevant in January in a long time, guys. A long time. And for us to blow this big lead, 7-4 and four through 11 games, 6-3 and three at one point. The sixth win came against the Buffalo Bills. And we couldn't win and get into the playoffs. That, to me, is embarrassing. Yes, I know the season is over. And, yes, I understand that early on expectations – you would have taken seven wins. But again, I keep on stressing this. For all my Jets fans out there who believe in mediocrity and poor play, listen, when you start off the season seven and four, six and three, and you have the Detroit Lions and Jacksonville Jaguars and the Seattle Seahawks, all of which up until those points were not great teams. They just got a couple of steam and they were pushing hard for the playoffs and they were looking good. But what are we doing? What are we doing if, they, if, if we're not pushing hard for the playoffs? As well, then what are we doing? You know, that's one thing. But two, once you start off that great, your expectations need to change. You cannot tell me that at seven and four, I shouldn't be upset at not making the playoffs after starting off seven and four. Come on now. Let's be honest here. We blew games, man. We blew games. Dropped the game to the Vikings. I mean, the Buffalo Bills, I'll give you that one. But Zach Wilson dropped the game to the Jacksonville Jaguars, to the Detroit Lions. And Mike White came in and played poorly again multiple chances and we could not do it sad just sad and sorry sad and sorry but listen we'll see what happens it should be a much more interesting offseason moving forward let's move on chiefs and broncos i'm not sure what happens between these two teams every time they play at least for this season but it has been a bit wacky a bit wacky you know the the, the chiefs look strong 
They look good early on. And then a couple of three and outs and a couple of big players by the Broncos. And all of a sudden they're back in the football game. Like you would expect this team, the Chiefs as in to blow this team out based off of the way they've been playing the entire year. The Broncos, they've been playing poor the entire year. So why the hell do I expect this thing, this thing to be close? I don't, you know, but we had a, a play that was to me so important. And I just wonder why it has not been run the entire season. At least, like, why are we not being creative? There was the touchdown play by Russell Wilson, 16-yard run in the end zone, the draw play. Why are we not running that play more often? I don't understand. Like, this is what this guy keeps his body healthy for, to still make those kind of plays. He has some wheels to him. He looked explosive. I don't understand exactly why it took us this long, the second-to-last game of the season, for us to utilize Russell Wilson's legs, aside from when the pocket breaks down and he has to move the chains with his legs. I don't understand that. I don't. Obviously, there have been nothing. There has been nothing downfield the entire year, and that's part of the coaching. That's part of Russell Wilson. But get something going. Be creative. Nathaniel Hackett, come on now. What do you all see for? Or what have you, like, what are you a head coach for? Be creative. But anyways, though, um, the Chiefs, to me, again, this team that that looks as if they're going to play really great football, and then they start making some blunders. The Patrick Mahomes interception in the end zone, that was terrible. That was bad. You're forcing it. The Kadaris Tony punt that he caught, he fumbled, and that led to the, to the touchdown. Bad, bad play right there. Bad play. And then all of a sudden, in the third quarter, the Broncos have a 17-13 lead. What? <laughs> what? But, as always, you know, um, the Chiefs defense makes a couple of plays and it, it, it resorts back into what we've been seeing from the Broncos unit all year long where they really can't find anything downfield. The defensive line for the Chiefs takes over and now they're making big plays and getting the Broncos to go five and out, three and out later on in that game. So that's what happened pretty much. You know, and Russell Wilson as well too threw a bad pass. I mean, the ball was 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 terribly thrown, intercepted. That led to another Chiefs touchdown. Down 10 now. Here we go. You know, but those players right there again, well, I don't understand sometimes. Russell Wilson, those players again, I never get. I never get. Anyways, Chiefs end up winning this game, though. That's all that matters. And they keep place for the first seed, at least for right now, at the moment, at least for the moment. Moving on, Giants and Colts. Um, I'm not going to go into detail about this game because of two things. One, the Giants clinched the playoff spot. Here he, here he. Wow, so great. I hate this so much. I just I, I despise the Giants. But anyways, give them credit. I, I'm always going to say that, listen, no matter what I really feel about the Giants unit this season, coaching has been excellent for this team, has been excellent. Brian Dayball, and he is a testament to why I believe so much in coaching. Because if you look at this roster from top to bottom, this is a mediocre roster. It is. It is. Maybe in the in the lower half of the league in roster in terms of talent, you know. But how is it that they are still nine and six and one and they are clinched for the playoffs this season? Because of coaching. Brian Dayball came in here and he knew going off the of last episode too, he knew that Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley would be pieces for his offense that as long as he makes it manageable for these guys and gets the ball to his right players, to his best players. And, and keeps the game within striking distance, a couple of field goals here late will win us the game. I mean, and also, by the way, um, Wink and Mark Martindale, Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator for the Giants, this guy right here, can you guys name me any defensive back, <laughs> any, any cornerback from that team? Like, come on now. Seriously, that's <laughs> that is a testament to Wink Martindale. That is a testament to Wink Martindale, guys, because the entire year, the entire year, okay, this guy has kept his defense at least competent. They're gonna still give up big plays, don't get me wrong. They're gonna make some things happen, they're gonna still be vulnerable in the passing attack, in the running attack, virtually everything. Like they are a suspect to give up big plays everywhere on the field. But because of Wink Martindale, he keeps the game at least in reach with his defensive schemes and with the play call and whatnot. I mean, aside from Kavon Thibodeau, 
aside from Dexter Lawrence, aside from Leonard Williams, maybe um, Xavier McKinney, and then maybe Landon Collins, maybe, maybe, to me, there's not much talent. And I could be wrong because I don't follow the Giants roster as deeply as some other Giants fans do. But I don't really see any much talent on that team. I think that Jason Pinnock, a former Jet, but I have realized that he's played well for them this season, has done has done all right. But again, not much talent. Look at the Giants roster on their, or at least the Giants lineup in the, in the offense. Again, Daniel Jones is your quarterback. You know, Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins, Daniel Bellinger, Darius Slayton. I know Giants fans feel as though they are, they or they were happy at one point because of what Darius Slayton could be. But as we know, and as we can see right now, he's nothing more than a, about a third receiver, the third best receiver on your team. Maybe second if he takes another step. But, you know, he's not that big play guy. He's not for me. Matt Breeder. And then Saquon Barkley. But not much talent. The offensive line, again, one starter on that team for me. One starter. Andrew Thomas. That's about it. You know, Giants offensive line has been poor this year. And it's been up to the the running game to hide their mistakes. It's been up to Daniel Jones to bail them out sometimes. But again, and when you're playing behind your home crowd and you're you have the energy behind you and it's a must-win game to clinch a playoff spot against the sucky coach, by the way, who by the way have a good defense, but are these guys really playing at this point? I know you, you could play for pride and whatnot, you could play for Jeff Saturday, but at this point of the season, I don't know. I don't know. They to me look defeated. Nick Foles, a guy who I thought was competent enough to make this offense look okay, look defeated. Look defeated. So it is what it is. Not much going down. The biggest play of the game for the Colts was that big passing play um, to Paris Campbell. That was about it. That was about it. But anything else? Nothing. Nothing at all. But moving on, Giants clinched that spot. Let's go to Dolphins and Patriots. Okay, here we go. So the Dolphins, to me, with Teddy Bridgewater, and here's why I try to defend some of these teams sometimes because you look at the unit. It's a top 10 roster. It is. It is. So you would think that playing against the sucky Patriots, and I say sucky in a respectable way because, listen, aside from the defense, which has been good this year, the offense is going to cost you games because they can't move the football. They just can't. But when you look at Teddy Bridgewater and what he did in that game, uh, up 14-7 to at one point, he brings the Patriots back into the game. Kyle Duggar, pick six, right there. Up until that point, you know, you take the lead on the road. The game is in your control. All right, forget about that first Patriots, first drive. They get the TD. You come back with your own TD, and eventually you take the lead. But the pick six is telling. It's telling right there. And up until that point, you're up 14 to 10. Now you're down two points off of the missed extra point as well. And to me, once Teddy Bridgewater goes out and you have to put in Skylar Thompson, who made a couple of plays in that game too. Like he made a couple of throws I thought he wouldn't have made, you know, because once you get Thompson in the game, this is like Bill Belichick territory. This guy's going to come in here and he knows how to handle these kind of QBs, these backup QBs, these young QBs. He knows how to put a number on them. So I, I was expecting that to happen. And for the most part, it did happen. There were a couple of errant throws in that game that caused picks. I mean, he had a pick that was thrown to Tyreek Hill behind him. That was picked, It was tipped up in the air by Tyreek Hill, picked off. That, to me, was a bad throw. Um, he made a couple of plays with his legs here and there, but wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. So the basis of what I'm trying to say here is that the Patriots, to me, will be in games or have been in games this season because of their defense, because of the plays that, that they have made. I mean, right now, that I think they're tied for the league leader, for most defensive touchdowns this season, what is it, seven, I think? That's a lot of points. <laughs> that is a lot of points, you know? So give credit to their defense. But if it came down to both these teams playing a clean game and seeing which team is the better team, then I don't want to just be biased here, but I don't really think the Patriots can move the football against anybody. I don't, unless it's a sucky defense, at least, that they're playing against. But – you know, it wasn't the best showing for me. Either way, though, the Patriots are still alive. They have to beat the Buffalo Bills to keep their hopes alive. 
and hope the Dolphins lose against us, whatever. Again, the, based off of what happened on Monday with the Buffalo Bills and, and the Bengals, we're not too sure how that's going to happen now, but we'll see what happens. Um, either way, let's move on. All right, so let's talk about the Saints and Eagles. Huh. So I picked the Eagles to win this game, and I'm actually very much surprised because I thought that if Gardner Minshew can have 300 yards against a Cowboys defense on the road in his first start, there's no way that they are losing to the Saints, who have been sucky all year, who have been underperforming all year long in the defensive department. And on top of that, we have this Saints team that is hot and cold, hot and cold on offense. Andy Dalton will play a great game one time. He'll play a, a absolutely shocker of a game the next week. Shocker. But surprisingly, surprisingly, the, this guy, Andy Dalton, was looking really good in the first half. You know, aside from the sacks that he took in this game, what well, was it, seven sacks, I believe? Which are, that's a lot of sacks. So give credit to the Eagles for at least holding this team, holding their offense into the game itself because that offense was putrid. I mean, one first down or maybe, what, two first downs in the first half? That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Gardner Mishu or not, that's embarrassing to do, to have. That's that's really bad. But seven sacks kept them kept in the game. They're they're down, what, 13-3 or 13 nothing at one point. Then we have the pick. That was a bad thrown ball by Andy Dalton as well, too. That was badly thrown. All right. So that gets them back into the game somewhat. It gives them some type of life. All right. Moving on. Second half comes. It's a prayer downfield to A.J. Brown, which you should be taking because he's a big receiver, big physical receiver. So, of course, you want to give your guy one-on-one shots. And he comes up with it. And he takes the ball the distance. Now, all of a sudden, after being down 13-3, to we're only down 13-10. to that's pretty good. And before that, by the way, the holding call on Landon Dickerson was atrocious. That should have been a touchdown for the Eagles, but it wasn't. So that gives them a field goal instead of a touchdown. So instead of it being 13 to 7, it's 13 to 3. But again, AJ Brown, big play by him. He takes it the distance, and now they're back in it. Here is where everything goes wrong for this team, pretty much. Um, after that, you can't get anything going. You know? It's punt after punt after punt, and then on a turnover on downs where I'm not really too sure about the play call, but again, I'm not mad at it for the most part because of one thing, how great the Eagles' offensive line has been this entire season. So, yes, I would say that I would put my money on them to at least push the sticks. But even the formation, the way they lined up in was like a like a freaking bunched-up formation. It looked as if it was a victory formation as well, too. And – these Saints, the defense line stopped them. They stayed home and they stopped them. That was a big play in the game. And obviously, punting the ball, giving the ball back to the Eagles after that. The pick six by Lattimore, which he read perfectly, ends the game right there. But still, to me, a shock of the way they lost that game. And I was expecting a bit more. This team is still pretty good. And still, obviously, you saw, despite the loss, you still saw this team be in it with defense the entire way. And they actually could have won that game if a couple of players would have went their way. But it is what it is. That's what happens. And now the Eagles are, are trying to regain some type of momentum heading into the playoffs. I mean, next week is massive. If you don't get back Jalen Hurts, I don't know. Because having him not play for about, what, four weeks? That's not good enough at all. It's not. It's not. You know, so hopefully he comes back and he's, in started, he's, he's inserted into the starting lineup and he gets some minutes, at least halftime, at least, something like that. And then you take them out and you rest your starters, depending on the situation for the first seed. I, I would think that you would want to play for the first seed because right now when it comes down to the Vikings and the Niners, uh, no team wants to go into San Francisco, by the way, and play the Niners all throughout the playoffs. No team wants to do that. But if you are the Eagles and we have the Niners coming to you or the Vikings coming to you, who you have beaten already this season, then yes, that would be a good matchup. No team wants to go into San Francisco. No team wants to do that. Anyways, moving on. Uh, let's go to the Panthers and Buccaneers. Surprisingly, the Buccaneers were caught off guard again. Huh. I wonder why. Because they they suck. They're trash. But they're playing against a team that has not been great this season as well, too. A team that is also in their division. A team that has been hot and cold this, this season as well, too. Like, it's not been great. The Panthers, though, 
surprisingly, right? Surprisingly, we have Sam Donald coming out the gates throwing the football very well. Very well. I mean, he made a couple of plays in that game in the first half that I go, wow, this team is actually serious. Like, they are actually serious. They're playing some great defense. They're stopping Brady and Cole. And so far, up 14 and nothing, they're looking pretty good. They're looking pretty good. We had a touchdown to Tremble. We had a, a touchdown to DJ Moore in the back of the end zone. And mind you, these are some 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 good throws. Like, Donald is putting the ball on the money. And before that, like, the drives that they're doing to get these TDs are looking very well run. Very well run. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. A connection that has not been there the entire year for me, for the most part somehow goes off against this Panthers team. I, I, I'm I lost for words. I am lost for words. Because it's one thing to give up a touchdown to Mike Evans, you know, the first time. But three straight times. And on each touchdown, it looks as if it's the same play, same route-running concept, and Henderson gets beat multiple times in that game. Multiple times. I mean, sheesh. <laughs> Jeez. Now, there were some rumors that were saying that, you know, the Panthers wanted to play man-to-man um, -man coverage and they wanted to leave their cornerbacks on the island because of stopping the short passing game or stopping the middle of the field passing game, which, if you look at the game itself, wasn't really much going on in the middle of the field. That's Brady's bread and butter. That's what they want to do, you know. He hits, he hits these tight ends. He hits Chris Godwin in the middle a lot, Russell Gage in the middle a lot. You know, so obviously you would want to protect that and force him to throw the ball deep or on the sidelines because that has been the area where they have struggled in. But Mike Evans took over that game, took over that game. And, you know, I don't, I, I really can't fault CJ Henderson for getting beat three times, I guess you could say, only because of who he's going up against. I mean, we forget sometimes that Mike Evans is still that guy. He's still that dude. He still has, what, seven straight seasons of 1,000 yards. To me, that is greatness right there. That's greatness. But at some point in time, you got to do better, man. <laughs> I'm just saying. You got to do better. Because to get beat on three straight times on the same route concept, maybe a double move was made, I don't know, but a, a, a freaking go route pretty much of what it was. And those three games, I mean, those three touchdowns, bring them back into the game, and it helps them win that game too. So to me... That was a big – or those were three big plays in that game that said it all. And as that happens, the Panthers are, are capitulating. I mean, right before the half, Sam Donner fumbles. It wasn't his fault. It was a bad snap, but that gives uh, the Bucks three points. And then in the second half, Donner throws a bad pick, underthrown, wasn't the best ball. That also was another bad play by him as well too. So I'm giving Donner credit. But later on, I'm giving him like some some criticism because obviously you're making some plays that are losing you the football game. So that to me is reverting back to Donald and what he was before. But either way, though, for the most part, still a pretty good game from him, at least. And later on in that game, I, I thought that it was still a game to be won by the Panthers because after that missed PAT by the Buccaneers and after them punting, you know, we have a fumble and the punter gets the ball, and he kicks it with his right foot. He, he's running from a defender, and he kicks the ball with his other foot, which to me is a, a great play. But, you know, if that if that play goes the other way and he fumbles, all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden we're looking at a team in the Panthers who have about, what, 40 seconds left to try and score a TD? Very doable, considering the way they moved the football this this entire game itself. Very doable. So that was a big play in the game that no one's really talking about, but good play by the punter. Either way, moving on, Browns and Commanders. So I picked the Commanders to win this game, but I'm surprised at the way um, it was handled. Seriously. I mean, Ron Rivera didn't even know that his team could have been eliminated, which they were, by the way. Uh, but to me, Carson Wentz is done, man. <laughs> Carson Wentz is done. He's done. He's done. To have... Actually, to be, I was about to give him credit on the last one, but to have three boneheaded interceptions, that to me is not the best way to lose your season. It's not. It's not. 
The first play was terrible. Throwing it late across the field. I guess he didn't see Denzel Ward in there. He picks it off, all right? And that's early on in the game, too. That gives the Browns three points. They go for it on downs. They don't get it. Okay, I'm not a big fan of that play call as well, too. I mean, listen, their bread and butter this season has been up the middle. Or if they're using any type of perimeter run, you're going to do a jet sweep, which is what they did in that game, too. But to give Brian Robinson a pitch, mm, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it at all. I'm really not. Like, probably you could have just handed him an eight-back dive, and you probably could have got the ball that way or got the first down that way. Didn't work out. Then the Browns, the Browns go and they get stopped on fourth down as well, too. Again, a play call that I'm not really feeling. I mean, a Deshaun Watson draw, QB draw, just take the points. Just take the points. I like, come on now. I know you feel frustrated after you got a turnover on downs and you wanted to get some points. It didn't happen. All right. But just take the points because right now, the way this game is trending, is the commanders are not going to be able to move the football as well as you would think they are against your defense. That has been giving up big plays this entire season. So just take the points. But they don't get it as well, too. But after that play happens, Carson Wentz again makes a terrible boneheaded interception in the middle of the field to Grant Delpit. I mean, seriously, man, a way to end the season. And I, I kind of blame Ron Rivera, too, on this. Because when you have a guy in Taylor Haneke, who has, yes, I know he didn't play the best the past two weeks, whatever, but he gave you guys some type of stabilization at the QB spot. And you guys were on a running streak. Like, you were in the playoffs. You were in the this one through seventh seed. You were one of those seeded teams. And he was a big part of that. So to me, you got to stick with your QB. Because Carson Wentz, I get it. I mean, he's a guy that is right now on the same level as Taylor Haneke, but he's not it. And he proved that again, not it, not it at all. And then against a team in the Browns where they're still trying to find their footing. I mean, Deshaun Watson hasn't looked the best again, but I'm going to give him some slack here because he's still trying to find his footing. Like he's, still, he's, he's trying to get back in there. He didn't play bad either. Had a couple of throws. That I thought, okay, this is the, 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 the Deshaun Watson that I know. Made a couple of big throws in that game, too. Easy throws, too. But overall, they're, they're not that well-versed right now. They're not. So you make the more safer plays and let your defense take over and, and try to win the game that way. But you kept on putting your defense in too many bad spots. And then late in the game, too, even the last pick itself, I see one receiver running down the field where he has single coverage. And I see one receiver running down the field. He has double coverage. And guess which place Carson Wentz throws the football? I mean, seriously. What is that? That's terrible decision-making. It really is. It is. To me, guys, this is, is the end of Carson Wentz as a QB starting in this league. I'm sorry to say, but it is what it is. Jags and Commanders, not much to go about in this game as well, too. I mean, the Jags had their way. Can you believe the Texans? Not the Jags and Commanders. Jags and Texans, sorry. Can you believe the Texans? have been the Jags for, what, the past six straight times, I think? Like, embarrassing. <laughs> to lose to the Texans the past two years, who have been putrid this year, and you finally get a win? Embarrassing still. But either way, though, you knew that history wouldn't really serve its purpose this time because the Jags are playing much more hot football. They're one of the more hottest teams in the league. And the Texans, even though they're going to give you a run for your money sometimes, it wasn't looking like this would be the case this time in this matchup. So Trevor Lawrence did his job, didn't do too much in the game. The biggest thing was Travis Etienne running the football. I mean, a superior team versus an inferior team. That's pretty much what it was, the entire game. That's what it was. Um, not much to go about it here. Um, just one big blunder by uh, Trevor Lawrence with the pick. To me, that was a bad play. But aside from that, though, nothing, nothing much to go about in this game as well, too. Niners and Raiders. Boy. Let me say this. Jared Stidham stayed. Listen, my guy, let me let me tip my hat towards you because <laughs> I wasn't familiar with your game. I was not familiar with your game, okay? My boy Stid played phenomenal, phenomenal. And I'm, I'm going to discount the last couple of plays. We made that bad interception in, in OT, which was like an a arm punt. 
It was very much underthrown. Made a play that was almost picked off as well, too, in that game, later stages in that game. Uh, oh, actually, it was picked off, the second interception, too. Um, but that wasn't really his fault, though, by the way. It was a tip pass, and it was called by the lineman. So either way, though, Stead, though, he played a phenomenal game, and it, it just makes you wonder, was Derek Carr missing open guys on, in the field? He probably was. He probably was. Now, that's not to say that he's not a better quarterback, obviously, and he's not a good quarterback either. But at least from this standpoint on, against a Niners defense, to me, is that is the best defense in the league. Is It's quite evident that he missed a couple of open guys when he was playing. Derek Carr, that is. But Stid, though, took a couple of shots in this game, and he hit some some big throws downfield. I mean, the the and Devontae Adams came alive too, had the rushing game going as well too. I mean, Stead at the pocket. I didn't know he was a runner. I did not know he was a runner. I didn't. So he made a couple of plays with his legs, and I'm going, wow. Wow. <laughs> like, no one expected that. No one expected that at all. I'm over here betting the under. The under was like, what, 197 for his passing yards. I'm over here betting the under and whatnot. He's going to have a terrible game. And this guy puts up 300-plus yards against the Niners defense. What? Crazy, crazy stuff. But you forget that on the other side of the football, the Niners have not CMC, not George Kittle, not Brandon Ayuk, but Brock Purdy. <laughs> Brock Purdy. Yo, this guy right here. I'm sorry. Listen. Niners fans, forget about Trey Lance. Forget about Trey Lance, guys, for real. Because right now, Brock Purdy has single-handedly taken over this offense. Single-handedly. I mean, in that game itself, similar to Stidham, made a couple of big throws. And later on, once the Raiders started, they started clamming down on this running game for the Niners, which was still pretty much explosive the entire way. Don't get me wrong. But... When it came down to passing the football to bring your team back, Purdy stepped up to the challenge. He did just that. Did just that. He made a couple of big throws late in that game. And obviously he had a big gain on a on a running game by um Christian McCaffrey. But for the most part, in OT as well, too. Um, Niners made a couple of big plays, and that said it all. But to me, Trey Lance. I don't know. I, I have no clue. It's giving me like Mike White vibes here once again because you see how it's a different kind of atmosphere from Zach Wilson compared to Mike White, at least when he was playing well. Similar here. It's a different kind of atmosphere from Brock Purdy compared to Jimmy Garoppolo compared to Trey Lance. It's different. It's different. And I'm, I don't know about you, but the way Brock Purdy is playing right now, I'm not sure if I can go back to Trey Lance. Yes, I know you invested three or you invested a couple of first-round picks to get up there and trade up there for Trey Lance. I get it. But right now, this job cannot be given straight away to Trey Lance. It should not be. Because Purdy, Brock Purdy, has been doing a number on a lot of these football teams as a Mr. Irrelevant kind of guy this season. Rookie, making big throws, making this entire offense go. And at some point, again, like, you can play within the offense the entire year, but at some point, you have to make some big-time throws. And he has made a lot of big-time throws in this game and overall in the season. It wasn't just this game, too. And I know it's the Raiders' defense. Don't get me wrong. But again, you got to make those big-time throws anyway. And he's been answering the call. So credit to Brock Purdy. Uh, Packers and Vikings, this game got ugly pretty quickly. I mean, you had a, a return for a touchdown by Nixon. On the on the kickoff return, you had a freaking pick up pick six. That to me was was crazy. Jay Alexander said this that that first game from Justin Jefferson was a fluke. It was apparently <laughs> it was last live Jay Alexander last live. Now everybody go talk bad fast anyway. So it it really was because obviously the the Vikings had nothing going for them, nothing going for them. Kirk Cousins threw three picks. Had fumbles all over the field. No offense whatsoever. No offense. It took him about the third quarter to get Justin Jefferson a catch. A catch. Embarrassing. And it goes back into this whole narrative about who the Vikings are. You you guys tell me, man. Seriously. What 12-4 team is getting blown out like that? What, what team? 
Like, I know there could be one-off games, but when they have lost this season, they have lost. Like, they have been embarrassed. The Packers game, the Eagles game, the Cowboys game. And then I'm drawing a blank here on another game as well, too. What, what other game did they lose? Um, the Lions game as well, too. Yes. They were never really in that game as well. So you tell me what 12 and 4 team is getting dominated in these type of games when they lose. Tell me. That's embarrassing. You saw Aaron Rodgers going back to normal Aaron Rodgers somewhere, making some big plays. But it was mostly the running game that like that took over and obviously the defense as well, too. Didn't have much to do on offense the entire way. But the Packers. The Packers, surprisingly, the Packers, who I, I counted out. I personally, and as I had good reason to, by the way, but I personally counted out the Packers. And at 8-8, eight and eight, they have one more game to win to get into the postseason. If they beat the Detroit Lions at home, they will make it to the postseason uh, 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 attribute, an achievement that no one saw coming. No one saw coming. I am surprised. I am shook. But... That's why you don't count out these big names. And for the Packers' sake, kudos to them. Rams and Chargers, I'm, guys, I'm not too sure exactly why. It seems like every time these Chargers have a home game, like they're their away team. Because you just hear their away crowd just cheering more than their crowd. It's embarrassing. It gives me Lakers and Clippers vibes. Like, damn, can you build a foundation? Can you build a, a fan base at least? What the hell? But anyways, the Rams came into town, and for the first quarter looked pretty good. Not too bad. Ran the ball effectively. Don't forget. Do not forget. This is still a poor run defense from the Chargers standpoint. Poor. So Cam Akers, who finished the day with 123 yards, not too bad. Not too shabby. You know what I'm saying? But you have a uh, Chargers team that is already clinched for the playoff spot. So that's one. But two, this is like a get ready for the playoffs type of game again for them. Pass the ball downfield. Um, I was surprised the way they were running the football against the Rams team. I thought that that would be a game plan that the Rams would would not give up, but apparently they gave that up too. I mean, you had Herbert throwing for 212 yards, which is measly. It's not the best for him. But Austin Eckler, though, th- this is not even a running football team. 122 yards on the ground, two TDs on 10 carries. Oof. Oh boy. Oh boy. I don't know about that. Again, not much to really go into with this game. It was a dominating fashion from the from the Chargers standpoint. The Rams made it competitive 10 to 14 at one point, but either way, moving on. Let's talk about the Steelers and Ravens for our last game. Okay. A very close game as we know, as you can preview coming into these two teams and matchup. The Ravens and Steelers who who have a pretty good feel for the for each other. When they, whenever they play each other, at least in that aspect. Um, great job for the Steelers' standpoint. No, sorry. Great job for the Ravens' standpoint at running the football because there have been weeks where I, I question the ability to run the football traditionally. And at least in the past, well, four or five weeks, they have gotten that down pat for me. So good job for them in that aspect. Um, Tyler Huntley played okay. Didn't play, he didn't play too bad. I, I think that he made a couple of throws to Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews played really well. I mean, he had a couple of big, big gains. Finished the game with 106 yards, 100 yards, sorry. And to me, he did a good job. But the Steelers, though, down from nothing. I mean, this team will not die. This team will not die. Credit to Mike Tomlin again. I spoke about Brian Dayball. But Mike Tomlin is the reason why I, I think that coaching is so important in the NFL in any sport that you play. Because you tell me, guys, you tell me, your best player on defense gets injured. That makes your okay defense go from okay to middle-of-the-pack average defense. Below average, to me, in my opinion, actually. So he gets injured. All right? You have... Kenny Pickett, a rookie, starting the game, like, what, the third game of the season, pretty much, or fourth game of the season, comes in there, and the the the, the road is not the smoothest. Okay, like, he comes in here, he doesn't really play the best football, but he's a rookie, so we'll give him credit for that. We'll give him some slack. 
All right. There's virtually no running game up until that point. Somehow the running game gets going later on in the season. Najee Harris finished the game with 111 yards. 111 yards, sorry. Um, Offensive line is still putrid. Offensive coordinator is still bad. We can't get the receivers the football. They have talent there, but we can't get them the football. We traded away Chase Claypool, who was supposed to be one of our building blocks for the team moving forward. He's gone. And somehow this team is 8-8, eight and eight, and I get it. You beat a couple of sucky teams as well, too, during that stretch. It don't matter. You play who's in front of you, and somehow this team is 8-8. Eight and eight. They have a path to the playoffs for the last game of the season. Give Mike Tomlin some credit, man, because I thought this year would be the year. I'm not, I would have put money, and I probably still would, put money on Mike Tomlin finishing the year with, for the first time with a losing record because going into next season, I mean, sorry, next game for that instance, I don't think they're going to beat – who did they play? I forgot who they play. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Browns. I'm not too sure if they're going to beat the Browns. I'm not too sure about that. It's a home game. I get it, but I'm not too sure about that. But either way, though, wow. Give credit. And then Kenny Pickett, this is the biggest drive of the game. Forget about the whole entire game itself. This is the biggest drive of the game. Two big plays in the middle to his tight end and then to Chris Sims. Some great throws, guys. Great throws. And then on the run, across his body, mind you, throwing across your body is not an easy thing to do. I wouldn't know because I'm not a QB. But throwing across your body is not an easy thing to do because it's one of the things where you can mess up the the QB mechanics so much. But he throws a dart. A dart, guys, to Najee Harris for the game winner. What? That is tough. That is tough, okay? Once again, stuns the Steelers. I mean, stuns the Ravens in that aspect. And to me, that kept the whole entire playoff hopes alive, which I never thought they would have anyway. But give credit to Kenny Pickett. Now, as far as his ceiling is concerned, I'm not too sure exactly where he'll end up. But to me, and I've always given him credit for this. Like, he is decisive. He can be surgical at times. Like, he can be pinpoint accurate. As well, too. And he's an athlete. Like, he's not a guy that, that is going to be pushed over, that's going to stand in the pocket and not move around in the pocket. Like, he can move. He can create some plays with his legs somewhat. Like, he could do just that. He's a bit mobile to him. So, yes, this guy can be, like, borderline top 15, maybe borderline top 10 in the future if everything goes well. I, I don't think he'll ever be top five. But if he continues this, this upward trajectory... Of course, he can be around that that top ten, uh, top fifteen conversation because he, to me, he hasn't been playing bad this year, hasn't been for the most part. So, give credit to the Steelers for that. And listen, man, that to me was one of the more biggest games of their season, and they pulled through. They pulled through. All right, guys, let's move on to some basketball talk. Yes, 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 sir. So, a couple of trade rumors, but before we get into that, we have some issues regarding John Morant. John Morant allegedly punched a 17-year-old in an incident that began uh, that began with an argument during a pickup basketball game that happened on July 26. And on top of that, here's a report right here. I'm about to read it real quick. Um, blah 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 blah. So the report was was made public this week, even though uh, the case has been sealed. So that's kind of surprising in itself too. I don't I don't understand why, but either way, that happened. Um. That took place, obviously, on July 26th of last season, of last year, sorry, last year. And um, we're seeing that the argument escalated once the individual allegedly tossed the ball towards Morant, as in probably threw the ball towards him accidentally, quote-unquote, struck uh, John Morant. And John Morant allegedly responded to this by approaching him, punching him, and then knocking him to the ground. And a form of self-defense. <laughs> oh, my God. Man, oh, man, this is too much. All right. And on top of that, according to the TMZ police documents, um, yeah, set the fence. But uh, according to the DA office, actually, the DA office is aware of the incident. And after careful review of the facts, they decided that there was not enough evidence to proceed with the case. So it's, it's not much to really go off over here. They really can't comment on a pending lawsuit itself. But 
I just want to say this before we move on about the trade topics. Listen, man, again, when you are a superstar, I'm not saying it's John Moran's fault. He possibly could have been acting in self-defense. I don't know. I'm going to go off of it in a non-biased standpoint, in a mutual standpoint, in the gray area. But if it's his fault, John Moran's fault, I don't know who it is. Point I'm trying to make here is that you got to be smart. Just got to be smart. Got to watch yourself. Got to watch your back. Because there are a lot of people out here who would rather tick you off for no apparent reason. Knowing how influential you are, knowing how much of a superstar you are, knowing how much of a figure, a public figure you are. So you got to keep your emotions down packed. Lay low, stay down. And obviously, coming from a guy like me, it's easier to say that right now because I don't have the money that John Morant does. But that's just what I'm going off of. And that's what I, I kind of believe, too. Like, playing a pickup game with with other people who are not, like, NBA stars, that, to me, is still fine. I don't really care about that. But even in that situation, if it's not your friends, you got to be careful. You really got to be careful out here. Because once you start making a certain amount of money, once you start reaching a certain amount of stardom, people are out for you. And I'm not saying that, that, that the guy was out for you, but, again, a situation like this where an argument escalates, keep your emotions down packed. You have a lot more to lose than he does or she does at that moment in time. You never know. You probably do, most likely, since you are John Morant. He's like a regular kind of dude, you know? So you have a lot more to lose here. A lot more to lose. So all I'm saying here is that you should just be smart. Just be smart. Be smart. Moving on, um, let's talk about the Cavaliers and their trade interests regarding Karis LeVert. And a quote, from a Cavs uh, insider saying that, I quote, I've talked to a few different people around the NBA, and they believe that Karis LeVert is the best asset that the Cavs have in terms of a trade because he can help teams right now, um, he reported. Also went on to say that, and he can also help their salary because he's an expiring contract. And beyond that, his salary number matches a lot of guys that are perceived to be available around the NBA. All right, so... I'm not sure if you guys know how I feel about Karis LeVert, but to me, he's a nice bench option, a nice bench scorer. If you go back to the bubble of when he was kicking ass in that bubble, I mean, he was going crazy in that bubble, right, for the Brooklyn Nets. If you go back to that year where it was D'Lo, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Karis LeVert, the three big, the big three that, that you could rely on to get you buckets, he was a big part of that too. But this season, averaging 12 points has not been the most efficient. Has not been the most efficient. I'm not sure if um, it's a fit issue or if it's just a him issue. But either way, though, I know that for right now, the Cavaliers, who are very scary, very dangerous in the Eastern Conference, are looking to upgrade their roster. And if they can get any type of pieces, first-round picks, probably, maybe, maybe not, because they want some win-now players in return. But if they can get a guy in, that can fit their system more than Karis LeVert can and upgrade their roster. They should do it. Pull the trigger because I'm not sure aside from those years with LeBron James, I'm not sure when the Cleveland Cavaliers have been relevant and will continue to be re- to continue to be relevant, you know, and Karis LeVert, even though he has struggled this season with only 12 points, which is not that lot, it's not a lot of points, even though that has happened, he to me can still be a threat off the bench. You know, he's a guy that, again, there are not too many players off the bench who are well-versed in creating their own shot, who are well-versed in getting their own shot. They usually have to rely on the other big-time playmakers who start games or the point guards, the backup point guards, who are, that's their job, to get other players involved, right? But there are not too many guards out there that can get their own shot. They usually play within the system. They play, they'll get the open shot and whatnot. That's their game. Now, that's not throughout the whole entire NBA, but I'm just saying, Karis LeVert is one of the reasons why that makes him much more of a a trade piece, and that makes him much more of a likable player to have on your team, another option to have on your team. Because there are some struggling bench units in the NBA right now, and I'm not going to name these bench units, but I just know that there are some teams that could use a Karis LeVert, that could use him in their system, that he can come in here, be one of the other main bench options off the bench, obviously, and then he can provide some type of scoring for their team that can carry them into bigger situations 
and at least manage the whole entire outcome or sorry, manage the whole entire situation while their starters are off the court. So we'll see what happens there. But I think that that'd be a good move for the Cavaliers to get some pieces to upgrade their roster and to get rid of a guy that's not really helping them win games. I know that I've spoken about the Cavaliers and their defense and their scorers. And, you know, when you look at Donovan Mitchell, you look at Darius Garland, you forget about a guy like Karis LeVert. But he doesn't fit the mold for me right now. And guys who fit the mold by on the trading block, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, it's reported that another uh, uh, insider, too, that he quotes, or maybe they can go all in and consider trading Siakam and Ananobi for what would likely be massive returns of picks and young talent. So obviously, if you make this move to get rid of Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, who I've spoken about on this podcast in the past in regards to how he can help a, another contending team with defense, he is putting together a masterclass performance on defense despite their 16-21 and 21 record, which is not that good at all. I think they're, what, about like 11th or 12th in the East, which is terrible. But either way, though, for the most part, if you trade a guy as an OG Ananobi, he can help the team be much better in that category and also provide some type of scoring as well, too. But Pascal Siakam, this season has been playing phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, what's he averaging? 26 points, eight rebounds, seven, uh, six assists, seven assists, I guess you could say, seven assists. And OG averaging 18 points, a career high, shooting 47% from the field and 35% league average from three. That's pretty damn good. That is pretty damn good. And for a team such as, you know, the Miami Heat, for instance, who need help at the four, you know, you never know how it could happen, but that would be a good move. I'm not saying that a guy as in Pascal Siakam makes us legitimate title contenders, but he, he definitely makes us a contender after that move. I'm not sure what it would take to get a Pascal Siakam because obviously you're, you're suspecting that he, he's going to command a hefty salary. or uh, I mean, the, the Toronto Raptors are going to command a hefty salary or a hefty return for their star players. Because after you move from these two guys, you're trying to basically build around Scotty Barnes and you're trying to build a more youth movement for the future. Because as it looks like right now, they're not really making any progress towards competing for the East this season. They're not. They're not. I mean, last season was a good year for them. Um, but this year, they took a step back. And similar to the Chicago Bulls, it has been kind of putrid in terms of offense. And they're not that good on the road either. So that's another issue as well, too. So if you are one of the more lower seeds, which you are going to be, even if you make it into the playoffs, you have to win your road games, and you can't do that. So to me, that's not good enough. So right now, I, I can understand the move of trying to build more around Scott Barnes and to get him some more help and go through this whole entire project of trying to see what you can do in the future. But you can see right now that guys like Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi are not really helping them win games. They're not. You know, they can possibly stay in games with them, obviously. Similar situation with the Bulls, with uh, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. These guys can stay in games with them, but they're not helping you win games because there's just too many holes on the team itself. Like, you look at the Raptors unit, is the team is, is not stacked at all. They have a lot of holes. <laughs> they have a lot of holes, and they don't have a deep enough bench at all. It's like every night I'm watching this team play, they run like a freaking eight-man uh, lineup. These guys get tired. <laughs> like these guys are playing 49, I mean 40 minutes a night. That's a, that's too much. That is too much. And if you look towards the later parts of their roster, it's not much to really be inspired by. So I can understand why they're not playing the best basketball because it's fatigue and it's also a matter of not having enough bench depth to help you get over the hump. You know, they have coaching. I like Nick Nurse. They have some talent there. Pascal Siakam is a talent. Scott Barnes is a, is a talent. Fred Van Vliet is, is pretty good to me. You know, the starting five itself, I mean, aside from a, a traditional big man, because they don't have a traditional big man, but the starting five itself is not bad. It's not. But it's what's beyond that is what their issue is. They're bringing guys like Precious Achua off the bench and, and Chris Boucher off the bench. Well, not bad players, but again, I know they fit the mold of their Raptors culture, quote-unquote, but it's not helping them win games. It's not. 
they need some more. They need a, a traditional big man. They need some more scorers off the bench. Even Gary Trent Jr., he's, he hasn't been bad this year, too. I mean, this year has been kind of like eh for him. But overall, with him in the Raptors uniform, hasn't been that bad. But I think that they, they just need some more. They just need some more for me. And trading away Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, who are at the peak of their, their play right now, playing some great basketball, those two guys. You would get a bunch of picks, a bunch of players possibly to help your cause of rebuilding. Rebuilding. Most likely picks because I'm not sure how getting players would help their team. Maybe obviously you you just get in a player to throw into the deal that is like a throwaway player, unfortunately. That's how, <laughs> that's how we have to deem these kind of guys. Um, but that's pretty much what the situation is looking like right now. So, yes, Pascal Siakam. OG and Anobi are going to command a lot of attention in the trade market, a lot of attention. So I could see a lot of uh, three-team trade deals happening. I could see a lot of that happening. So we'll see what happens in regards to that. But anyways, guys, what a great, fantastic, fun-filled episode. You know what's surprising? There is no preview for NFL Thursday Night Football tomorrow. That's crazy. No more TNF. Wow, the season is coming to an end. Coming to an end. But we have some Saturday matchups, I guess you could say. Whatever. So we'll, we'll do that for Friday. But either way, though, that will also be the last day of predictions for the regular season. That's crazy. That is crazy. But anyways, guys, as as always, things must come to an end. And that's what's happening right now here at Game Breakers for the NFL season. It is what it is. I'm not really complaining here. I'm just saying. But we're, we're going to look towards basketball more, more often. So that's going to be exciting to do. And... Let's continue to grind. Let's continue to do our thing. Guys, it is your man, Edwin, and I am out. Everyone have a great rest of your day. Peace.